If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I see Billy and Joy went in our uh, pews this morning. It's good to have you all visiting with us uh, from Neshota, Wisconsin, where Billy is a student at Neshota House. Uh, also, I must say, uh, Joy, that um, I came, I was actually dressed in my white chasuble this morning. You see, I forgot that I was supposed to be red and it was, you're here and anyway, you helped me last time. See, about a year and a half ago, when it was um, the end of our green season, ordinary time, we had moved to Lent. And then and Lent was purple and I came out in a green chasuble and Joy went, looked at me like this and ran the purple chasuble to me back behind the doors. So uh, anyway, it worked out. Praise the Lord. Well, beloved, let me begin on this Pentecost Sunday uh, to give you a bit of an overview should you not know what Pentecost uh, was and what Pentecost is. First, we as Anglicans, like many Christians around the world, we celebrate certain holy days in the church year. Not every Sunday is uh, created equal, we might say. So today is the Feast of Pentecost. I see Mayo in the perfectly nice red. We match uh, perfect red there, Mayo, in the back. that red shirt on. We have, of course, red here for the, the, the fiery tongues that Acts 2 talks about is coming upon the holy apostles and those that were gathered with them. But we as Anglicans commemorate Pentecost, which was first and foremost a Jewish holiday. It was one of the three. It was the Feast of Weeks. This is, a matter of fact, why the apostles, and not only the apostles, but also so many other Jews from around the world, at least the Palestinian world there, were gathered together. And Adrian, well done on reading all the names of all the different uh, people that were there. Because most people do not know that the mix of ethnicities that came to Jerusalem for Pentecost and for the other two feasts, they came, they were Jews, but they came from around the world. Some different skin colors, different cultures for sure, but they were gathered together. Pentecost, penta meaning 50, is 50 days from the resurrection of our Lord. The Feast of Weeks, that is the matching feast from the Old Testament, was 50 days after Passover. So we see that there is a connection with the Old Testament, and we as Christians commemorate these uh, feasts that now have Christian meaning and symbols. Let me go on to say, though, that Pentecost itself, as we read about in Acts chapter 2, was when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. The Holy Spirit was given to the apostles and to those gathered for a mission, for a purpose. Not only to sanctify those that would receive the Spirit, but to animate the life of the church from that point on. To fulfill the great commission of our Lord. Which the great commission is, someone say it. Make disciples of all nations, there we are, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do, obey, or uh, all that I have commanded them. Well, we're done. Praise the Lord. That was easy. Oh, well done. You all passed. Well, very good. The Holy Spirit was given. The third person of the Trinity. Not a force, not the divine force, a Star Warsian kind of force that people can, can kind of grab for themselves and then just kind of hit people with. 
Uh, the famous, um, well, actually, he's not as famous as he ought to be. Helmut Thielicke was a German uh, Lutheran theologian who wrote a systematic theology, and in his third volume, he dealt with the Holy Spirit. And he says explicitly in there that when you read the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit is, of course, not a force, but a person, the third person of the Blessed Trinity, God himself. But it's not a, a force that you gain for yourself and then you can use for yourself. No, no. The Spirit is always sanctifying you, communicating to you, shaping you, not the other way around. So, Pentecost, here we are today. The thesis of my sermon, or my homily this morning, is this. <clears throat> if I can remember it, here it comes. <laughs> Just as a body without breath is a corpse so too a Christian or a church without the Holy Spirit is dead. Let me say that again. Just as a body without breath is a corpse, so too is a Christian or a church without the Holy Spirit dead. Now, that may seem over the top, may seem a bit, uh, a, a bit crazy, maybe a bit harsh, but that is the reality. Our Lord in John chapter 6 says this, the Spirit is life, gives life. Where the Spirit is, there is life, and the flesh is no help to us. Where the Spirit is, there is life, not death. There is life. When we look back to Genesis chapter, uh, chapters 1 and 2, we have the creation of the cosmos, and there we find the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters, aiding the Father and the Son in creation. We see, too, throughout Scripture, well, let's jump back to Ezekiel chapter 37 for a moment. They're still in the Old Testament. Do you remember the valley of the, of the dry bones where Ezekiel is told by Yahweh to prophesy over those dry bones. For those of you that know a, a bit of Hebrew have heard this before, that Hebrew word, breath, okay, um, and, and it's translated as breath and as wind sometimes in Ezekiel 37. Remember, God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the wind, to the breath, and then prophesy over these bones. That Hebrew word is ruach, and it could easily be translated spirit. It's the, it's, the, it's the Holy Spirit that is there. And what happens to the dry, dead bones? What happens? Is we, yeah, there's life. So we talk with our kids. It's like, you know, the song about the knee bones connected to the hip bone. You see these kind of like bones coming to life in this vision. And then finally the Spirit is given to them and they come to life. Where the Spirit is, there is life and not death. I am uh, I'm fascinated by artificial intelligence. Is anyone else fascinated by this like ongoing dilemma? And yes, it is a dilemma. Let me say, maybe we need to start preaching on this more regularly. It is a dilemma. But there was, there was um, a brilliant uh, philosopher slash kind of scientist by the name of Alan Turing. Is anyone familiar with Alan Turing? Oh, a few of you. Oh, wonderful. So Alan Turing back in the 50s, um, late 50s I think it was, had what he called the Turing test to deal with computers. Because you see, Alan Turing didn't ever think that computers themselves could, could become kind of 
uh, thinking things or have consciousness. He actually said later on that they couldn't do that, but he said, if we want to have the conversation about computers and whether or not they can think and have consciousness, we ought to give a simple test to them. And here was the test. Is anyone, anyone familiar with this test? And it is actually applicable to the sermon, a few of you. What Turing said is this. You get a random person, you set them down in a cubicle, and you give them a little computer. And across from them, in two other kind of cubicles where they can't see them or hear them, you have another human being in a computer. And here's a simple test. This person sitting here can ask as many questions via the computer to the thing over here in this room and the thing over here in this room. And they don't know which one's a human, which one's the computer. And they can ask as many questions as they want, back and forth, back and forth. And at the end of the day, they're asked to give their assessment. Which one is the living, living human being and which one is the computer? And Alan Turing said, when we move to a, mo- a point in time in which this person believes that the computer is the human being, then we can start asking those crazy questions about artificial intelligence and do they have consciousness and, and all this other stuff. Here's the point I'm trying to make. We as believers can often not only trick others, but deceive ourselves into thinking that we're living and active and doing just fine spiritually, but actually we're, we're dead. We're dead. Just like that computer, though it might be able to trick the person sitting here asking the questions, is not a human being, but it has tricked the others, that it's alive, that it's, that it's there, that it's robustly living. And we do this all the time as Christians, don't we? We do this all the time. We have signs of life, but the thing is, the odd thing is, we can have signs of kind of physical life here and there, but no signs of spiritual life. Where the Holy Spirit is, there is life. And what does the life of the Holy Spirit look like in, in one's life, in one's kind of existence, day-to-day existence? Well, Paul tells us the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, those are the things that we desire to be given to us. Have you ever known someone that really exhibits, maybe not all, of course, the fruits of the Spirit, but some of them, they exhibit these things and you're like, okay, I don't care what their actual life looks like, maybe they're kind of a bum or whatever, or they don't, you know, I don't know, they, 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 don't, they don't look like the kind of social norms say that they ought to look like, but man, there is this Holy Spirit in their life. Have you ever known someone like that? You see the spiritual fruit. Well, here's the deal, beloved. Here's the good news. You might feel spiritually dead today. Some of you might feel that way. You feel as if there is no fruit, there is no living life kind of within me. You feel dead Here's the good news. If you have been baptized, if you've been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and if you have confessed Jesus as Lord, you are not dead though you feel like it. You're not dead, beloved. The Holy Spirit is within you. The Holy Spirit has not left you. You are not, in fact, dead. Some of you have come here this morning and you're like, look, I feel like kind of Turing's computer I've just kind of acted, I've said all the right things, no one can really decipher whether I'm spiritually alive or dead. Let me, let me say this, there's hope. The Spirit of God is in you, and He loves you, and He will sanctify you if you will let Him. Jesus said in our gospel reading, if you love me, you will what? So one more time, if you love me, you will what? Yeah, you'll keep my commands or you'll obey my commands. Here's what happens so much 
in our lives as believers is we get into a spiritual funk. We do love our Lord, but we're not obeying his commands. And then all of a sudden the devil comes in and begins to accuse us. You're not, you are actually dead. And I mean like dead, kaput dead. There's no Holy Spirit within you. It's, you're a hopeless project, but you keep kind of, um, you, you, you keep kind of hanging on for dear life. Let me remind you, keep hanging on, but the Spirit of God is within you. And the Spirit, where the Spirit is, there is life. And even more than that, finally, where the Spirit of God is, there is love and not fear. And why do I say that finally, moving to our Lord's words? We don't keep the commands of God out of fear, out of fear that if you keep them, if you're a perfect Christian and a perfect human being, only then God will accept you. No, no, no. That is actually, you and I cannot fulfill the law on our own. The Scriptures teach us that. But the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us to allow us to receive the love of God and finally begin to follow him, not out of fear, but out of love. As um, I've said this a few other times recently, but uh, our children aren't in the service yet, so I can kind of, I can give some family dynamics, but then once Levi's here in the fall, it's all over. I can't give these because he'll be sitting in in the pew. How many of you have tried to parent your children in such a way that they fear you first that they fear you and that they obey you kind of out of fear and then love is not really thought about. Well, let me tell you to, to stop doing that and I fall into that category too often. Do what I say out of fear of what I can do to you and I'm your father. You ought to respect and fear me. Actually, that's not the way that the Lord works with us. What he's trying to do by the, by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Spirit that gives truth and light and love to us is to say this. I'm going to sanctify you and I'm going to cause your desires and your will to line up with the Father's. And in that way, you begin to love what God loves. You begin to obey in the words of God, not out of fear that God is going to just crush you when you, when you disobey Him, but a knowledge that if you repent and turn to Him, there He is. Luke 15, the Father receiving the prodigal son hug, a hug, a kiss, a ring, a cape, sandals, I think, on the feet, to the feast, for the calf, that's for you. So, beloved, walk in the Spirit. If you've been baptized and have confessed Jesus as Lord, you are not dead, though you feel it. Repent, turn to Him, receive by the Spirit the love of the Father. And I promise you, as we are sanctified in the course of our lives, we will much easier be able to obey the commands of God out of love and not out of fear. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.